Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org, where you will find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Erica. Hi, everybody. I'm Erica Compulsive Reader. Hi, uh, First of all, I brought pictures because they say a thousand words, don't they? <laughs> um, to qualify, I have six and a half years of current abstinence out of relapse, and I'm maintaining between 115 and 120 pound weight loss with my higher powers help in this program. So I'm absolutely, absolutely grateful. And welcome. To- um, and as people say, that's my higher power, not me, because I am a gutter drunk with food. There is no question in my mind if I were an alcoholic or a drug addict, I would be the worst of the worst. So, um, and welcome to all the newcomers. I'm just completely astounded. Like, I haven't seen that, this many newcomers, like, in the valley for, in forever. So I'm like, wow, keep coming back, you guys. Um, and it's such an honor to speak at this meeting. I spoke here four years ago, and... It's amazing. Um, just, I'm sure if I went back and listened to it, I'd see how much change there is. Because of course, I have that, you know, that never satisfied addict mind of, you know, but I have all these things I need to accomplish that I'm falling so short of. But I don't see how far I've come. Mm-hmm. I do know that um, my relationships have improved. I have become a more rounded person very slowly as people say Erica you're blossoming and I'm like oh my god stop it but no it's good to hear because I can't see that um yeah I can't and thank god for sponsors and people that are like remind me of even like three months ago what behaviors I was into and and how I've changed so um, just what it was like, I, I will try to not stay in it because I can stay in what it was like for a very long time, and I can talk about my two relapses for probably 30, 40 minutes because it's very familiar, and at the same time, that got me to where I am today. Um, I know from the four today yesterday, and somebody read it in a meeting I was at last night, it's like, you know, the whole concept of we will not regret, regret the past and wish to shut the door on it, so... You know, the fact that this time now for people that are just getting here, it's okay. Because for me, it took what it took to get me to be willing. If I wasn't willing, none of this would be happening. I wouldn't work the steps. I wouldn't turn to a higher power. I'd be like, forget this crap. I'm going to go home and eat. I don't want any of it. Um, And what it was like is, you know, I grew up as, oh, you know, I have the drug addict parents that are also compulsive readers. And I always say I'm so grateful that I didn't become a drug addict because even though I got this disease in spades much beyond my parents because they were too busy doing other things, um, I'm too much of a control freak. And the thought of losing my semblance of control, even drunk on food, was impossible for me. The few times I tried it, I was like, forget this. I, I'm going to stick with, you know, me and the Domino's guy and perusing the aisles at the supermarket, like, that is for me. And um, I'm grateful because I just, as I said, when I'm in the worst of my worst of my disease, I am non-functioning. I cannot hold a job. I cannot hold a conversation. I'm so sensitive that my skin is like, don't touch me, don't look at me. 
everybody hates me, and I'm like this rolling B-word on wheels. I'm not going to cuss for the recording. But, um, and so what it was like is I was that only child raised by a single mother who was a very active, um, functioning drug addict in the music business and then had to stop using and stop working and went to bed. And then food, her other disease came out, and I, that's where I learned how to eat. And she was my binge buddy. She's where I learned how to isolate and learn how to stay at home and avoid responsibilities like school and socializing with other kids. And I had a very limited um, amount of that. I came to later find out in therapy that I was just a not, an unsocialized kid. And so I wonder today why social experiences are so difficult for me. Well, I grew up hiding in a cave, basically. And, um, and that just continued on to the point where I was um, teased in school, you know, the same. I don't think it's re- – I, I know what, being a convulsive reader sucks and being a bulimic anorexic sucks, but there's something about missing out on the – when you're a heavy child and a heavy teenager. My top weight of 250 pounds was when I was 19 years old. And there's something about never going on a date – never going to the prom, dropping out of high school, not getting married, not having children, not going to college. I even enrolled in college and was so scared to walk my fat body over to, you know, the bridge to school that I just wouldn't go. And it's like years later when I went back, it's the people were astounded by my um, ID number because it was, like, so different for everybody else's. Well, it was from 1997, and it's now 2000 and something. I'm mean, like, that's how long it took me to get there, like 2005 or six or something. Um, so, as I said, I, I lost a lot because of this disease. And But what it did is it got me to my first bottom. My first bottom was a physical one where I actually took in my entire body in the mirror because I was going to go out in the world to a concert, something I never, ever, ever did. And uh, my ego was so huge that I was like, I'm going to be sitting in the front row center and everybody in the Pacific, or the, what was it, the amphitheater, whatever it's called now, Universal Amphitheater, uh, they're going to be looking at me because I'm this fat girl at this concert. And I just started crying my eyes out and I was like willing to go to OA, which my mom had started to do. And that led me to five years of abstinence. Um, It gave me the gift of, I came in somewhere in my teens, um, I became an agnostic. I became very, very convinced that I was alone and that I was going to die alone and I got really early that I was going to die, period, and I just walked around crying all the time. I was like, oh, my God, it's the end. Don't you people know what's going to happen? I was very dramatic. And um, and it was that very alone feeling. And when I came in, I I wasn't against the idea of a higher power or of God, I just couldn't fathom it in my mind. I couldn't bring it together. And somebody was speaking, this older lady was sharing in a meeting about a year into my recovery, and something she said just hit me about never being alone, no matter what happens, her higher power was with her, and I just, like, cried buckets. And that, for me, I've cried so many times in meetings, like, it's like the lightning bolt moment for me. I don't have walking on clouds and farting flowers and stuff. Like, when I have a moment, it's usually very, you know, I've had this moment of just like, oh, and people have seen me just, you know, that's what I've had to do. That's how I do my growing, especially back then. And those five years gave me that belief in a higher power. 
It gave me the knowledge that the steps are of the utmost importance, that I couldn't just get recovery from osmosis by sitting in a chair. I just couldn't, it just wouldn't work. And I got to a healthy body weight um, just about. I got within like, I'm telling you, I still remember, 14 pounds of my goal weight. And I stayed there for a very long time, and I was just talking to somebody today who's struggling a lot, and she's parting ways with her sponsor, and the two, one or two people that she spoke to regularly in programs, she doesn't speak to anymore, and she wants to leave program. And I'm like, well, I have to tell you, that's exactly why I left the first time. I made my program life very small. I didn't open up to people. I had two friends that I had a falling out with, a sponsor that went, you know, we went our separate ways. And I had two, only two meetings I went to, which were basically the same mirror image of each other. One was Tuesday night, one was Thursday night. And I got really bitter about the shares. And I was like, my food's wonky. And I'm taking a candle for five years and I'm eating, but I'm technically abstinent. And I left. I left bitter and PO'd and just not a happy camper, and I left for eight years. Um, on the form it says, do you multiply addic- You have multiple addictions, and I do. I, um, I got to develop my lovely love addiction while I was out for eight years because to this fat girl, if I find you attractive and you find me halfway attractive, it's on. It's on. And so I, that was like my way of dieting. Like I could just eat like a little bird. If I was into somebody, food, I would I would lose weight. Um, and I yo-yoed between like the 180s to the 220s, 230s. If somebody was in the picture, I was going down. And if somebody was not in the picture, I was rapidly going up. And that's how I lived for eight years until I hit my absolute bottom with love addiction. To That drove me into another program. And then I couldn't stop eating. All bets were off. I was binging on stuff that I had never binged on before. You know, I've always been, like, a quality binger, you know. (laughs) I'm not going to mention any high-end stores, but that's the kind of binger I was. But I was, like, eating cheap white bread from, like, the Circle K and 99-cent cookies. And I was shoving it in, and nothing was taking away the pain. And that was the scariest moment for me because I was like, what's next? The only thing that's left since drugs aren't for me and food isn't working is being locked up. And, um, cause I was really going insane and I was, I was on a job. I actually worked for the railroad with all these men and I'm like crying all the time. It's not a good combination when you're dealing with locomotives and heavy machinery. It's just not. <laughs> and I finally, you know, got back into OA in 2002 and that's when that commitment to stay no matter what got ingrained in my heart somehow. It wasn't always conscious in my mind, but after being through some stuff, I knew absolutely that I had to be here, regardless of what happened. And, um, you know, I came in like the uh, the high 190s. I was abstinent for three years, and I got down to a healthy body weight for the first time. In my, I got down to my first goal weight, and a lot of things happened at that point. I got, suddenly the girl that could not diet thought that she could she could do it, that I could you know, with my sponsors okay, keep lowering my goal weight because I didn't like the way my body looked. And I was furious. I was like, you mean all this work and all this time and the men aren't lining up and, you know, my life isn't golden and I'm not, like, having this huge social life. And I, what? Are you kidding me? And I still have a fat this and a stretch that and what? I was so furious. 
And that, for me, was the beginning of the end because it was like, you know, with Dr. Tybos and Dr. Silkworth talk about the, the in the AA Comes of Age about the need for ego reduction. My ego is up and ready and strong every morning going, how are we going to take over today? Forget it. You know, disease. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to take care of this thing, and I can't take care of this thing. Because left to my own will, I know I just, I'm just gone. And so that, um, like the perfect storm happened once my will came in. Um, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness. I was put under a plethora of medication that made me up terribly sick. And one of the couple of them were they call fat makers. And so that coupled with the self-will, coupled with one meeting a week, coupled with all these things led to a relapse. And I did it with so much flair. I did it, you know, at first it was like this slow crawl of my weight was going up. Am I still abstinent? You know, I wanted to stay abstinent because my ego wanted you to all think I was abstinent, even though I was 24, 25 pounds up, and, you know, but God forbid I should start my time over again, because what will everybody think? Oh, my God, and I won't be asked to speak all the time, and I won't be this, and I won't be that, and, you know, and then when I finally, you know, I was I was doing fruit sweetened. I don't eat sugar and flour. Those are, like, the main alcoholic foods for me, 100%, 100%. And I was eating fruit sweetened, and I was eating, you know, sorbitol this and fake that, and, and all these things, you know, kind of inching my way around in mass quantities. But because I wasn't eating in between meals, I was abstinent. And what happened is... Um, I was starting to say things like, well, a carob-covered malt ball is not sugar, and I'm going to buy a bag of it right now, you know, and I was binging on dates and all these things, and then it became, well, you know what, I'm really, I'm really, this is sugar, I'm going to go for the sugar, and then it, it was off, it was gone. I was eating sugar, I was eating flour, I couldn't stop, I got back up to 220 pounds, I worked in a bank, and I was crying my eyes out from one, in eating from one end of the bank to the other. Um, I was basically having a breakdown, and I was eating through the whole thing. And I was in program. I did not leave. And I had to, you know, I always share this story to try to bring how painful that. I mean, they always say there's nothing worse than a head full of program and a belly full of food. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible feeling, but I have to say, if I hadn't had the experience of absence before, I wouldn't have fought so hard to come back. And so I had this, you know, one more time I tried to get abstinent, one more day. Could I get one day? Could I get a week? I would get two weeks, and then I would eat. And I remember I had one pair of pants left that I could wear to the bank tomorrow. And if I had one more binge, for me a binge is not, you know, picking a little of this or having an extra large meal. It is bags and bags and bags of food. Everything that my little kid at Compulsive Overeater and me was like, get it now while you can because, you know, you didn't get it before. So get it now while you can. And um, I am one of those that I will eat until I'm sick, and then I will pass out, and then I will eat some more, and then I'll pass out. But before that, I'll throw it in the trash, and then I'll get up and I'll go get it out of the trash and I'll eat it some more. Um, And I have stolen food. I have... um, hidden food in my clothes, I have eaten, I have raided the vending machine and eaten in the bathroom stall at work, I mean, I've done just about everything, Um, and what got me abstinent again was, well, basically the pain was so strong, 
but the pain, it basically the pain of eating was stronger than the pain of becoming abstinent again. And that commitment came, I always am so grateful because I started, somebody that I really respected was was relapsing at the same time. And she was trying to come out of it, and I was talking to her and she said, you know, I'm going to a meeting every day, sometimes twice a day, because I should be in, a, in an eating disorder unit right now, and I can't afford it. So I'm going to utilize this program for all it's worth, and I'm going to be in meetings. And so that got me to going, okay, I could do five meetings a week minimum. And I was doing five to seven weeks a meeting minimum in the beginning. Um, and it got me to, that got me to open up and, like, remember, I could see people's faces that were in recovery, and I could see that light in their eyes, and I was dead. I was, like, walking around in, because in the, in the dead. I was, like, in this, I was, like, being in a well, and I could see the light up above me, but I, everything was surrounded, and I was just, I was in hell. And I cried in meetings, and I wore, I only had two pairs of, like, these, drawstring huge pants I was back in the women's sizes again and you know one day it just hit me after crawling and you know just clawing and trying to get absent again and praying and writing God letters and you know needing a new sponsor and asking everybody and their brother and them being full and finally things started clicking because you know when people call me today and they're they're in they're struggling or they're in relapse, I say just keep doing the work because what's going to happen is the recovery is going to overtake the disease. It's going to be 51%. At that moment, you're going to click and you're just going to have, this is was my experience, that I kept pouring so much program on the disease that was had taken hold and talked to me in my own voice and was very convincing and wanted to kill me. But I poured so much program and so much higher power, even on the days when I didn't want to, um, that it finally, that decision that my abstinence was more important than anything else, anything else, came. It was it was in front of a meeting, and I remember sharing because I was, I got up and I said, I'm going to go home and eat tonight, and it was like something snapped that, at that moment. And I've been abstinent uh, pretty much ever since. I'm not saying that in the beginning it was easy at all. It was calling to commit that for lunch today I'm going to have the salad bar. And if I want a hot fudge sundae, I'll have it for, for the next meal. And it became the next meal and the next meal. But I had to, like, go from one meal to the next. And um, I'm very grateful that I – there was no more BSing about screwing around with my food. There was no more um, – you know, once I started following a food plan, I knew that if I, I weigh and measure my food today um, because it gives me that freedom. I plan my food in the morning. Um, when I first started abstaining in two, uh, 2006, um, I would commit my food in the morning and then follow up in the evening what I ate. And if there were any changes, I would text it to my sponsor. And what I'm trying to relate here is I was just, I was like, if you want me to go out and sing on the corner right now, I will do it because... I can't live in the food. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Um, and that gift of desperation, it doesn't feel good, but it's for me is so essential because otherwise I wouldn't want to do all of this work. Um, but then at the same time, people say, oh, it's so much work and the meetings and the steps. Ah! And it's like, but for me, the pain of being in, in compulsive overeating is so much harder. It's so much harder to try to plot and plan and hide and be in misery and be obsessed and just 
like that is so much more exhausting than doing my daily routine and working the tools. And it's just really there's no comparison. Um, and so these last six years have been about guarding that precious jewel of my abstinence, of it is more important than any relationship. It's, you know, for me, it's my relationship with my higher power, which I choose to call God, and my abstinent, and then everything else comes after it. Um, I was given the gift of if I go to bed tonight and put my head on the pillow and I'm abstaining, that's all that matters. You know, when I have self-pity days, which I know we all have, you know, if I'm unwilling to look at a gratitude list, if I get clear about, okay, you're abstaining. If you weren't abstaining, this would all be a bunch of crap. It really would. It would be terrible. It's so hard not to cuss, I have to say. Uh, I know. But um, so these last um, six and a half years, I mean, I got to um, a healthy body weight, but I got to it with the help of my sponsor, with the help of fellows in program. I got to share in meetings and say, I'm at this weight, and I'm like, I feel raw, and I feel scared, and I feel exposed, and people came up to me and shared their experience walking through that, and my sponsor reminded me, she said, okay, is this discomfort as bad as when you're eating? And I'm like, not so bad. It's really not so bad. And I got to walk through that, and I got to walk through um, huge things like um, being diagnosed with a heart condition in 2008 and not being able to work. I mean, who in their 30s, nobody even looked for it for years because nobody would ever check my heart. And here I am walking around with a form of congestive heart failure, which I believe is attributed to using Fenfen and using um, ephedra and things like that to try to control my food. And um, so it's been like I was diagnosed, and I was so sick, and I was so weak. I was somebody that couldn't walk more than five minutes, and I would pay for it for two days. I would be physically fatigued that badly. And I was told things like you have to get a defibrillator. You have to um, be on these medications for the rest of your life. You have to do this. You have to do that, blah, blah, blah. You know, the heart biopsy, the whole shebang. And I was feeling so terrible, and I didn't see an end in sight. And I had a summer where I laid on the couch trying to build up my strength and just was like, if I die, it's okay. It's okay, God, because this really sucks. This really sucks. And the reason I share is not so that we can all bond over, like, chronic illnesses because I'm the grand. It's because I didn't have to eat over it. And it's that's such a gift because God only knows what my body would have been able to ha- not deal with this heart stuff with being 100 plus pounds overweight I mean seriously um and there's also been huge things like I was sharing with a fellow on on the way to the meeting four years ago when I spoke at this meeting I I had a big falling out on the way home with my mom and um it's led me to another program, and I've gotten so much healing since that time. It's like nothing has changed. Everything has changed. Um, that's a huge gift. I've also gotten 
a relationship with my father after learning to or actually be willing to pray for him, the resentment prayer in the big book. I was so scared that if I started praying for him, because I was frightened of him. I didn't quite know why, but I moved away and didn't tell him where I went. I didn't want him to find me. I had nightmares about him. And then I started praying for him, and within six months... I was willing to reach out and contact him. He has disowned me once in my life. We've not talked several times. He didn't raise me. Um, I got to ask him things like, why didn't you, why did you leave when I was a year old? And I got to hear because I was a drug addict and I wanted the drugs more. I mean, I had the courage to say that. That's not something I would ever have said. Ever. And now I get to go meet him for brunch on Sunday and or in two weeks for Christmas with his girlfriend and actually buy him a present and like care about him and like there were years when I said I have no love for this man he's a stranger to me he can forget him you know he did he wasn't around and I don't want to get to know him it's too uncomfortable and today it's like I don't have too many expectations of the guy and that's a miracle you would think I'd be like okay dad cough up the dough you didn't Pay, you know, paid my way through college and all that. Do it now and be this and do that. No, it's like, it is what it is. And I don't have to be angry with him. And if he did something to me when I was a kid, which I had no idea because I don't remember, it's not today. And I, I can protect myself now. And I feel safe around him. So that, that's what counts. Um, daily wise, because I'm not quite sure how much time I have left. Do we know? Oh, hey. All right. Um, I work a strong program, as I said, but it's nothing in comparison to when I was eating. And um, so for me, I get up in the morning and I have my decaf. It's big, exciting stuff, my two cups of decaf in the morning. This is from a former extreme caffeine pounder. I mean, like, it took, it took a lot of work and a lot of God to get me not to have as much caffeine as I was having. Um, and I have my decaf, and then I ha- bring out my books. I bring out my books and my notebooks, and I do my daily readers. And I, um, whatever step I'm on, I'm a firm believer in I whatever step I'm on that day, I, if I'm on doing questions, I answer one question. If I'm doing uh, writing on a paragraph, I write on a paragraph. What it means to me, what I've learned about it, you know, what it brings up for me. Um, because I have learned, and I love this saying, I can't get clean today off of yesterday's shower. So if I think that, oh, I did a bunch of recovery stuff a week ago and I'm cool, it's, it, for me, it doesn't work that way because, as I said, my disease wakes up with me. And my disease wants me to go out and wreak havoc on the world, <laughs> wreak havoc on the people in my life, and most of all, wreak havoc in my own mind. Because I can get that monkey crazy mind that these people don't like me, and I'm scared to do things that are different, and I'm so, Erica, why are you so rigid, and why don't you have a boyfriend, and da 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 You know, it can go on and on. So I do my step work which for me opens up the path to my higher power. Because the more I clean out that gunk and the more I get out, you know, I'm actually on my fourth time around on the steps. And, you know, every time I do a fourth step, I'm like, I don't have anything to write about. And every time I do a ninth step, well, I've just made all my amends. I'm fine, you know. There's always something, and there's a new layer, a new willingness. Um, I remember going through the ninth step this last time, And my sponsor, you know, the sponsor before her when I had done the ninth step was like, well, you, I had stolen some stuff when I was a teenager. And because I was a teenager, that sponsor and I decided that I didn't have to go make amends for it. 
and I would make, I made financial amends, like, through another way, whatever. And then, well, this sponsor is like, "Uh uh-uh, you stole, and I don't care how old you were, you're going to go tell these people. And um, they were friends of, you know, of my family's, and I knew them from when I was a child, and, like, my mom would be in a meeting with them, and I'm in their bedroom, like, rifling through their stuff. I mean, that's really, oh, my God. And um, I tell you, I really wanted to get that one over with, and and both of those financial amends, timing-wise, they happened just when they were supposed to. Um, The one, the couple that I had stolen some coins from them, and I was such a bad thief because I would flush them down the toilet. I was so guilty. I was like, I can't, I just can't deal with this. This is horrible. Um, I told them that I stole from them, and I offered to give them money, and they said, this was during the Iraq war, and they said, um, pray for the soldiers. That's all we want. I was like, what? Say what? And then the next person, um, I had stolen from her husband. It was another coin. I don't know what it was with about me and coins. And um, I flushed that one down the toilet. They had ended up blaming on the maid. If I could find the maid, I'd probably have to apologize to her. And, um, but I did, I do think she took other things, so it wasn't just, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I think about it. Okay. See, maybe there's more in my next one. I don't know. Um, I went and I talked to this lady that I've known since I was like five years old. And I told her, and I offered money, and I felt so terrible. And she said, you know what I'd like from you? I'm going away on a trip, and I need somebody that I trust to ride my horse, because I've been riding since I was, I rode with her. So my amends was to ride this woman's horse for a week. <laughs> is that not my higher power? I don't know what is. I'm like, but here's money. Here's money. I don't need, I can give you interest. No. You know, so that reminds me that how I project things to be, I have never had an amends be horrible. I have never had it be, the worst is that somebody said, okay, they still didn't like me. And I wanted them to, like, fall in love with me at that moment and be like, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Let's be friends. And no. You know, no. But later on, we actually had a moment about a year later. Thank you. Um, anyway, I got off on a tangent about the ninth step. But um, so I work my steps, and then I do a God letter. For me, as I said, my higher power is God. I just want to mention that because some people, you know, their higher power is the ocean, the sky, the universe. It's it's individual for all of us. Something other than me that isn't running the show, basically. And I write that God letter, and I thank God for my day. And I ask, I sometimes I just list out all the stuff that's troubling me or all the stuff I want to control Or if I have something that day I'm going to do that I'm scared of, you know, please walk with me through this. Show me your will. I turn these things over to you. I'm powerless over them. Um, And I've learned in my time in recovery that thy will not mind be done is incredibly powerful. Because when I'm all clenched up and I want things a certain way, thy will not mind be done. And things, like, start to click and things get better. And that took me a lot of years to trust because I didn't trust that my higher power had something better in mind than my mind could cook up. Because I have to remember, my my God is infinite while I am finite. I can only see this limited amount, but my higher power can see it all. And, you know, I would rather have that force working in my life than my limited scope coming up with, you know, 
you know, I would want to live in a in a single apartment on a loud street. Maybe God has a mansion in store for me. I have no idea. But, you know, that's what I equate my will and my higher power's will as. Um, and I write that God letter, and then at the end I always ask for the knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry it out and to ha- walk in his grace today. Because when I'm walking in his grace, it's a lot better than walking in my disease. Um, and, you know, even though I am sober with food today, there's, as I say, no effing around with it. Um, there's all the other stuff, all the reasons I ate. Relationships, projections, financial worries, um, expectations of myself and others, that's huge. Um, projections about what's going to happen in the past. I can forecast the most frightening thing in the world. Like, oh, I'm having a really great day. I bet there's an earthquake that's going to happen right now. I mean, like, that is where my mind can go. So I turned all those things over to my higher power. And um, and then in the morning, actually, before I do that, I've now started meditating 15 minutes a day to a guided meditation, which has helped with my anxiety tremendously. And things like yoga and walking, you know, I have suffered from anxiety my whole life, and that's why food was so fantastic. Um, but I found that I don't have to do that. Um, and then, of course, there's meetings. I've come to find phone meetings. So if I'm too busy to get to my quota per week, you know, as, I go to as many face-to-face meetings as I can, but I will substitute them with phone meetings, and they're actually quite fabulous. Um, and I know a lot of people around the country listen to the phone meetings and take part of them, and they listen to these podcasts. So it's amazing how many people we reach. It really is. Um, and then I have my sponsor. I have people that I help in program. And... Outreach calls, I have a hard time calling people to ask for help because I don't want to burden them or something. I don't know, or that I don't matter enough. i got to get over that. Maybe year 10, I'll get over that. But um, one day at a time. Um, and so all I can say is it's just I stay as connected to my program on a daily basis as possible because I don't want to give my disease that little in, that little crack in my recovery to where it can just come in and go, hey, that piece of such and such, is that's technically okay. You're okay. You've got so many years of absence. You're fine. And it kind of, when I had that perfect storm before, I had to talk with my sponsor that bread was okay for me. And it was off to the, that was the big explosion, that and the malt ball, man. That was it. That. So um, I'm going to close because I love questions. So um, I just have to say this program has absolutely saved my life. And everything that it has given me and continues to give to me is here for everybody else. You just got to do the work, in my opinion. So thanks for letting me share. We have a question. The question is, how do I know when I've turned something over? Um, there's a couple of, well, usually there's this serenity and a peace, and I don't get into that, I need to solve it right now, because I find that when I turn it over, it, there's like a buffer of time where I have to be still. And so if I forget to do that, if I, if I start to, as I say, clench up again, then I remind myself, um, oh, you turned that over. Oh, you turn that over. And if all else fails, I know I have some fellows that are really good about their God box. <laughs> I am not. So I have to, like, be, I forget about it. But if I actually physically take it, a piece of paper, and write it down and stick it in the God box, then it's something about it. It's, it's something like, okay, that's not mine right now. Um, and then if I really can't get it turned over, I will call fellows. 
And I will also go through the list of all the times where I held on to my will or I held on to, like, the darkest thing that had to come out of this situation and God had it turn out so fantastically over and over again that I had to, like, okay, Erica, stop freaking out. It's always worked out. And as a friend of mine always in program says, God didn't bring you this far to drop you. And so little things like that, and then I get to that point where the answer becomes clear, and then it's almost like that let, like when you kind of, not quite, but that relief of food, it's almost like that, oh, okay, I don't have to try to control this Uh, The question is, how is my abstinence different from my food plan? My abstinence is uh, basically three meals and three snacks, nothing in between. Um, It's worked well for me. I'm hypoglycemic, so it's kind of like I had to. But it's also been a a great tool for me. Um, My food plan is a calorie count, and I kind of have three prongs. There's the food plan, the list of alcoholic foods, and then my abstinence. They all have equal importance to me. Some people say their food plan is imperfect, their abstinence is perfect. For me, they've all kind of been of the same level because I know if one starts to go downhill, it's not too long before the abstinence is going to go. So my food plan is basically, you know, I have my calorie count in the morning, and I sit down and I plan out what I'm going to eat. And, um, you know, if that ever has a day where it's... Whatever, I just don't believe in slips. I don't believe in, um, if, I'm, if, my, if there's no sugar or no flour anywhere, it's, it's, I'm done. I need to start over again because um, it's off to the races. But I'm, I'm unique in that area. Some people put specific foods on their abstinence. I tried that. I put like 30 foods on my abstinence when I was going down with the ship before, thinking that would protect me, and it didn't. So that's just my experience. How do I work with on my relationship with God? Um, gosh, as I said, the God letter, um, things like yoga, things like meditation, you know, really working on my 11th step and my third step, turning it over. And then I do things during the day. Um, if I'm having a good day, it's usually thank you, God. If I'm scared, God, please show me what to do. If there's a situation where I don't know how to handle it, which is most of the time, you know, a sponsor taught me to say the prayer of um, show me your will, give me your words, your thoughts, your actions. And so I try to chat with my higher power throughout the day as much as possible. And the more I do that, the more things work out. Um, and I've also gone to church quite a bit. I found a church that worked for me and um, a church that's about spirituality and not religion. And um, just trying to develop that surrender aspect of, you know, trusting in my higher power and, yeah, whatever I can do to cultivate that 11th step. And it's it's a slow process for me. It took me forever to get to do half of those things. But it was just one, as my sponsor says, one baby step at a time. And the more I bring my higher power and the more I am at ease in my skin and, you know, out in the world and not feeling like I want to run the other way because that's my default. So... Any other questions? All right, that's it. Thank you.